And uh, for those of you who were not here this morning, so they they were uh, sleeping each night in tiny little rooms packed like sardines. And Eric, I just love your story. Where are you? Oh, yeah. He said he, he lied down shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of guys to go to sleep. And all of a sudden, the guy next to him pulled the pillow and said, started sharing his pillow with them. Oh, so this is how the night's going to be. <laughs> wow. Praise the Lord. And uh, just having to also to experience some of the aftershocks. And, but I, I just, the thing that the Lord has really put in my heart with Haiti is that, uh, you know, in Haiti, there's a lot of religion and a, there's a lot of emotion in the religion, but not a whole lot of substance behind it. And Pastor Serge, I'm just echoing what Pastor Serge, the pastor in Haiti says. Not pointing the finger. There's certainly a lot of that in this country too. But the church there, however, uh, is th- there may be some emotion there, but it's it's backed up by a tremendous depth and commitment to be in the Word of God. People who have uh, now for a few years, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, every Sunday, Wednesday, and other Bible studies, and they're amazingly positioned now to make a big difference. Uh, in this extraordinary circumstance. And so I can't help but think, uh, not like the church was not overflowing with ministry before the earthquake, but now just uh, what's going to happen. It's just a wonderful, wonderful privilege to, to be a part of it. We need to keep it all in prayer. Psalm 98 verse 1 begins, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. Now, if you weren't here last week, I made a lot of this particular phrase because it was in an earlier psalm, Psalm 96, we were in last week. This is repeated many times in the Psalms, also in the book of Revelation, this concept of new song. When I first read that in the Word of God, I was... was, a little confused, like it's telling me sing a new song, but what if I read this psalm tomorrow and then the next day and the next day? You know, a new song can only be new once, and so that was confusing to me. But as I uh, I talked about last week, and I just can't tell you how much I want you all to uh, understand this and internalize this. If you're in the Word of God, in prayer, walking by the Spirit, as God has promised uh, to give you the power to walk in, that new song will turn over and over and over and over again in your heart. It will. And that's one of the wonderful things of being in Christ, being born again. The new song, just turning over and over again, and each time it's just as rich. Each new song is just as rich uh, as the next one. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing, you know, the Christian music industry and just Christian songs, just the tens of thousands of songs out there. And it's just a reflection of this very thing that God is constantly, the Holy Spirit is constantly uh, turning over new songs in the hearts of uh, his children. Psalm 33, 
verse 3 says, Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. Psalm 40, verse 3. And he hath put a new song in my heart. And we read last week in 96, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to him all the earth. And now here this evening, uh, Psalm uh, 90, uh, rather, uh, Psalm 98, verse 1 here. Oh, oh sing to the Lord a, a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. Now, in the book of Revelation, where you have the hundreds of millions of uh, creatures uh, around the throne... God's creation singing to him. Again, it says in Revelation 5, verse 9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And they keep on singing this. And again, well, if they keep on singing it, how can it be a new song? Well, that's the wonderful thing about a relationship with the Lord, that the Lord turns over that new song over and over again. You know, I remember years ago on the radio listening to a guy talking about how, you know, he's been a Christian for 30 years and how when he was first a Christian uh, that... Um, he loved sharing the gospel with people, how to be saved, but that now in his life it was a burden. And I always sort of come back and remember that. A uh, very well-known guy, actually, who the Lord has used tremendously, but it need not be that way. And I'm sure there's many in this room that can relate to this, that, I don't know, I, I, when I share, share the share the gospel with someone about a living relationship with Jesus Christ, I just get so excited. And I've been walking with the Lord for 20 years. I don't know how many times I've witnessed. And that's, and that's the wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's, it's, it's always new. <laughs> it's, it's always new. And I remember as a younger believer um, or, or a, a new pastor, I was an assistant pastor, hearing about uh, Bob Coy down in Fort Lauderdale at the Calvary Chapel. He's, he had the church had already been going down there for 15 years, and uh, and I heard some of my mother or someone say it, he just gets better and better, and being confused. Well, how could that possibly be the case? I mean, he's been teaching now for um, so so long, and just a couple of weeks ago, my own kids asked me, "How do you keep having sermons every week?" Uh, it, 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 and the answer is the Lord is constantly turning over a new, a new song. And that's what's so rich about having a living, breathing relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. It's that new song that he turns over in your heart that makes ministry just a rich, rich thing to do. So you're sharing the four spiritual laws for the 20,000th time and you're excited about it. How awesome is that? I mean, anything else, it would be terrible. I remember hearing Mick Jagger say, if, if I'm singing uh, Can't Get No Satisfaction after I'm 40, I'm going to die. I mean, because these guys just hate singing this song for the billionth time. And what the wonderful thing is, is that it's not so... 
you know, with ministry and serving the Lord, the God, because he's so faithful uh, to, Jesus said, believe in me, he believes in me, fountains of living water will flow forth from within him. And that's what, it's the same kind of concept, it's constantly overflowing and it's something new. Verse 4, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoicing, praise. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm, with trumpets and the sound of a horn. You know, oddly enough, there are churches out there who do not allow any instruments uh, in their services because nowhere in the New Testament does it mention an instrument. And, you know, that's, that, to me, uh, that, that's the danger of not always exposing your heart to the entire whole counsel of God. Because here, uh, throughout uh, the Old Testament, you see these wonderful portrayals of harps and trumpets and lutes and all this other stuff, instruments we've never heard of. Uh, and so anyway, now we play instruments that they had never heard of. Verse 7, let the seas roar in all its fullness, the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He shall judge the world and the people with equity or fairness. Uh, Verse uh, Psalm 99 begins, the Lord reigns, let the people tremble. So how can you go from verse 4 of uh, Psalm 98, which says, shout joyfully to the Lord, and Psalm 99, verse 1, which says, the Lord, reign, the Lord reigns, let the people tremble. Well, I tell you, that's why the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, is so important. Because if you've walked with the Lord for, for a while, you'll understand that those two things are utterly and totally consistent. In fact, you can be trembling and rejoicing at the same time. But only God can do that work in your heart. And to the natural man, it makes no sense. The natural man hears uh, me or someone like me get up and say, you know, um, you have to fear God. You have to tremble for the Lord. And they say, ooh, what a puritanical religion that is. You know, the type of thing, type of deal. When actually uh, what it is, it, it's not a terrible thing at all. It's, it, it is another form of worship just to get before the Lord and just... Fear his holy name. Now that word, uh, that holy word is a big word in this psalm. Mentioned, it's a short psalm mentioned three times. Verse 3, verse 5, and verse 9. He is holy. It says, let the people tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Now remember the cherubim, the cherubim, the Ark of the Covenant which God gave instructions of how to build uh, to Moses on Mount Sinai. Well, the children of Israel, after they had left Egypt, they were in the, uh, the wilderness for 40 years. God chose for the first time since the Garden of Eden to just come down and dwell amongst them. And where did he dwell? Over the Ark of the Covenant, in, on top of the mercy seat. And the cherubim are sort of angelic kind of creatures. And they were both sort of... Their wings and their eyes are sort of both pointing at the mercy seat, um, which was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Remember, inside the Ark of the Covenant was the book of the law, but praise the Lord, above the book of the law and the mercy seat is the mercy seat. 
And that's where the cherubim are looking right at it. And that's where we always have to be looking. We have to be looking at that mercy because we don't have a chance if the, the standard is the law, the book of the law. We all fail miserably. And praise the Lord for the mercy seat. But the cherubim, a real interesting bunch of guys, these cherubim. In the book of Ezekiel, you have this description of uh, of cherubim and you know, wow I'm just reading a few verses from Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 4 then I looked and behold a whirlwind was coming out of the out of the north and brightness all around it and within it came the likeness of four living creatures and with, this was their appearance they had the likeness of a man each one had four faces each one had four wings their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves feet they sparkled like the color of burnished bronze the hands of a man were under their wings on their four sides and each of their four uh, each of the four had faces and wings their t- wings touched one another the creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. So, wow, you know, uh, the, the cherubim, uh, interesting creatures, mentioned in Genesis, mentioned in uh, Revelation as well, and uh, they're angelic beings uh, that are servants of the, of the Lord. And so, it says, let the earth be moved, and I, you know, and more than anything else, <laughs> When we're in our devotion time, and if you don't have a devotion time, please consider setting aside some time each day to go before the Lord and open up His Word. And this is my prayer for you when you open the Word, that you will be moved. It says, let the earth be moved. Just moved by just being in the presence of the Lord and having the, uh, the Word of the Lord have, have an effect uh, on your life. The Lord is great in Zion. He is, is high um, above all peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. And again, in v- verse 5, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Verse 9, exalt uh, the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill for the Lord our God is holy. And, you know, I... Why is it that we, um, why is it, the, the Bible says in First Peter, it says, uh, but as he who called you is holy, this is First Peter chapter 1 verse 15, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And so we have... Uh, an answer in the Bible to the question of why should we be holy? Why is that? And, you know, I can talk all day about good reasons to be holy. You should be holy in your in your sexual life because you'll get diseases if you're not. Or you should be holy because employers really like uh, people who are honest and moral. Or you should be holy because... You need to be an example to your kids, but supremely, the the reason to be holy is just for one reason, because God is holy. No other, you need no other reason after that. That alone will do. (laughs) Be holy because I am holy. 
And, and, and my prayer for, for everyone here, including myself, is, is that we understand that. That really, at the end of the day, we, need, we only need one reason, one excuse to pursue holiness. And that's because God is holy. God is holy. It's at verse 6 of Psalm 99 says, Moses and Aaron were his priests, and Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord and he answered them. Really interesting here, Moses and Aaron coupled with Samuel. I don't believe uh, that you you see these three uh, uh, together, just mentioned together in, in the Bible. But they were, you know, these were intercessors. And, and what does intercessor mean? It means to go before the Lord on behalf of other people. Moses went before the Lord and he said, God, answer my prayer. And if you don't, just kill me. Just kill me. <laughs> and and yeah, it, 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 so devoted was he. I, I always am amazed that you look through, through the life of Moses. He leads the people out of Egypt. They were being beaten and stripped and and, and afflicted in Egypt, he leads these people out, and when he gets them out, they want to stone them. They want to. They complain. They say, "I want to go. We want to go back to Egypt." And the Lord is is moving towards rendering judgment against them. And Moses gets in the way, and he says, "No, don't do that." And when you have come to the place in your life where you have been grievously wronged by someone and you're crying out to God, Lord, I know this person wronged me, but please, Lord, have mercy on them. I tell you, the Lord's doing a work in your life. If you're getting to that place, and that's the place uh, where, the, where he wants to, to take us. And I think of Samuel uh, as an intercessor where King Saul is just so rebellious, so carnal, King Saul was, the first king of Israel. And Samuel had anointed him, him, him king and, and he just rebels and disobeyed God and he built monuments to himself. I mean, the, he was just a mess. And there was one time where Samuel went to him and said, look, you know, God's going to tear the kingdom out of your hand. He is against you. And he's just really just speaking God's judgment against him. And, and Saul's like, Saul doesn't repent, but he has these big elephant tears that he's, you know, this wasn't real. Not, and not every time you see weeping is it real repentance. It's just people feeling sorry for themselves. Well, Saul was feeling very sorry for himself. And he just cried out um, to Samuel and says, well, pray for me, please. And I think first Samuel said no, but he kept on pleading. And he, he prayed for him. Uh, and you know, here's this example of this guy who is sort of exhibit A of how not to be a king. And even when he was long gone in terms of being Israel's king, you still see Samuel interceding on his behalf. We need to pray for people, you know, to the end, to the, to the very, very end. You need to pray for marriages. Um, I was talking with a brother this morning about. This marriage situation that I've been, you know, involved in counseling before—it looks so utterly hopeless. I, I just cannot, I, I just cannot 
I've never seen a, a, a marriage as hopeless as this one. And, um, and there's just the temptation to look at it in the natural and give up. The Bible says we need to intercede long after, even when we think things are over. We need to continue interceding. Same thing with an unbeliever, uh, a family member. I know all of you have family members that have not come to Jesus Christ. And they're hardened. They may even curse uh, you if you begin uh, uh, witnessing to them. Listen, until either you go to the grave or they go to the grave, you need to continue interceding. The Bible's so clear about this. Verse 6 again, Moses and Aaron were his priests. Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord and he answered them. Verse 8 says, you answered them, O Lord. You were to them the God who forgives. So that is one of God's names. Uh, the Bible, in the Bible, God doesn't have a name like Harry, Tom, or Bob, or Sally, or whatever. He's known by his character. The God who forgives is one of the names of God. Psalm 100, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Actually, this psalm, you may have heard this. This is one of the psalms that many of the pilgrims who... Uh, used to go to Jerusalem, would sing. And so they would say, make a joyful, uh, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands, meaning all you nations. And, you know, Jesus, when, after he had resurrected from the dead, remember he had, uh, the Great Commission, he had sent people to, uh, you know, go into all the nations and make disciples of all men. And, uh, and, we don't think of the Jews before that time. Uh, remember when Jesus was saying that, he was speaking to Jews. He was speaking to Jews, go into all the nations. We don't never really think as much uh, about the Jewish uh, people being evangelistic, meaning reaching out to the nations around them. But you actually do see it in a number of different places uh, in uh, the Old Testament. Here is one of them. Just... You go out and, and even to the Gentile nations, the nations that don't believe uh, in the Lord, it's saying, make a joyful shout. In other words, shout out to them. Shout out to these people who don't believe in God. Listen, you guys need to shout out to the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. I heard one guy say, serve the Lord with gladness or not at all. You know, there's, there's, uh, when we get any, if, if there's an indication that someone, uh, you know, in ministry at this church, if there's an indication that someone's not serving with gladness or they're serving rather under compulsion, you know, we, we are very quick to go to them and tell them, look, there's, there's no, you know, there, there's nothing wrong at all with, you know, going, taking a, a time off or not doing this ministry or, or thinking about something different or just taking a rest for, the, for a while. Because it is true. The Bible says that when we serve the Lord, we should be doing with gladness. And if we're not serving Him with a glad heart, I think the best advice I've ever received on this is, you know, 
don't change your actions. I mean, don't change being in ministry. Change your motives. Really seek the Lord. Lord, I'm not, I'm not serving you with, with gladness. And uh, there is, you know, nothing uh, worse than having to be around people that are serving the, the, the Lord under compulsion. Serve Him with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. It is we who made us and not we ourselves. One of the most striking pictures in the Bible is King Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most powerful men who ever lived on the face of the earth. He's out walking on his palace grounds. He's the king of Babylon. It's one of the seven or eight wonders of the ancient world, the Babylonian hanging gardens or whatever. And he's looking over this, and the the guy uh, was just incredibly wealthy and prosperous and powerful and and he says he looks at it all and he says wow look at this kingdom that i built and then the bible says that even as those words were on his lips god just struck him down he he lived like the next seven years or something out in the field thinking he was a cow or whatever eating grass and 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 and, and this type of thing why because he didn't understand Psalm 100, verse 3, that it is He who made us and not we ourselves. And, oh boy, uh, does it do I cringe when I hear from a man or woman, most particularly a man of, or woman in the body of Christ, who comes out with a statement that seems to indicate that, well, you know, I'm just a self-made man. I just pick myself up from my bootstraps and this is where I am today. It's a dangerous place to be in. It is God who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people. We're the sheep of His pasture. I went into some length about that this morning. Uh, where Jesus is called at the end of the Hebrews, letter to the Hebrews, he's called the great, that great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is our shepherd. We are the sheep. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Now, there are those who believe that Psalm 99, Psalm 100, uh, and actually Psalm 102 are all messianic in different kind of ways, meaning they're psalms which are speaking prophetically about either Jesus himself or the kingdom age where Jesus returns and rules. Can you imagine, the Bible does say that Jesus will reign for a thousand years. Can you imagine what it will be like to enter into the gates of Jerusalem knowing that Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne. I, I mean, it won't be difficult for your heart to just burst out in praise. That will not be a difficult thing. You won't have to be trying hard uh, uh, to do that. No one's going to have to uh, manufacture worship in their heart when Jesus is on the, on the throne. Verse 4 continues, be uh, thankful to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, 
and his truth endures to all generations. Verse Psalm 101. I will sing of mercy and justice. This is a psalm of David. I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. You know, I was talking about this this morning that when I go to Haiti, I'm always very... I've become cognizant. I've become very conscious of the the sin that is a uniquely American sin. Different cultures, by the way, have sort of cultural sin issues. And America's cultural sin issue, Americans are generally blinded to it because the sin issue is this. It involves, you know, Americans just have to be going and accomplishing and doing and sort of taking over and working like incredibly hard and, and and always being on the move and if, if when they're confronted with it it's like what are you talking about the bible says be diligent and you know and little sleep a little slumber slumber a little folding of your hands or to rest in poverty will come upon you like a bandit and scarcely like an armed man you know we just quote these proverbs and things like that and you know i think of you know my own life there's a lot it's just so much uh, going on uh, there's there's people who need uh, counseling there's teachings to prepare uh, being a dad a husband a son to a mom and a dad I have a part-time job and a lot of administrative stuff associated with the church always on the move but if I don't get alone in a place with God where I like David I just sing of the mercy and justice. Sing of his mercies. Sing praises to him. I don't mean necessarily getting alone and, you know, being a tenor and literally singing, but just, just praising him and getting alone in a devotion time. You know, we choose where to spend our time with most things in life, but with our devotion time, we need to not spend it. We need to make our time for the Lord. We need to make our time. And a lot of these psalms, by the way, these psalms by David, to me, one of the richest things about them, a lot of them were fashioned in his heart when he was a, a teenage boy. He was a shepherd. That's why there's so many allusions to being a shepherd and the sheep, of God being the shepherd and him the sheep. And, you know, I think of teenage, the teenage years, which can be very, very difficult um, because, you know, teenagers have this issue with boredom. They get bored. And, you know, tragically, a lot of, a lot of teenagers, because of that boredom, they go out and do really stupid things. I know I did. And I think of what happened in David's teenager, teenage years where he was out alone, just getting to know the Lord. And the Lord was fashioning a song in his heart. Remember when Samuel went to anoint the king, he went to Jesse, 
and said, the Lord told me that one of your sons is king. And what did they come out with, the first seven? Or was it eight or six? I don't remember. None of them were it. And he goes, well, you must have another one. Oh, yeah, he's out. You know, and so what do we do with our boredom? You know, it, and boredom is a, a dangerous thing. And particularly in the teenage years, but really any time of our life. I can tell you what you, you should do with your boredom. You need to do what David did and learn the habit of being alone with God, opening up his word, getting to know him, and singing of his mercies and his justice. Verse 2, he says, I will behave wisely in a perfect way or a complete way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. There's a wonderful resolve here that he said. That, I mean, rather, that he had here. Verse 3, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. So does TV come to mind to anyone when they're reading this? Among other things. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. So important to surround ourselves with people who are who have a heart for the Lord and do not have a perverse heart. What does perverse mean? You know, it's a word that people don't like to use anyway. It sounds like a prudish kind of religious language. It means twisted. And, you know, even born-again Christians, people who are Christians, can have part of their life which is just twisted. It's wrong. It's out of alignment with the Word of God. You need to cut them off out of your life. I was talking to a sister last week. You need to distinguish in your life who are your friends and who your ministry is. In terms of the people you surround yourselves with, you, in other places, we read that, we're, that, that a Christian is supposed to have an undivided heart or not have a double heart. They're supposed to have a full heart. That's who you surround yourselves uh, with as friends. Now, everyone else needs to be a ministry, and you need to be going into the relationship with that in mind. As much as I love this person, they're not my friend. They're my ministry, and I'm going to purposefully go into it with that in mind. David says here, a perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his name.
just in case you missed, Psalm 100, verse 4. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Sam is telling me to be quiet. I just can't hear him. Oh, he's singing? You were singing? I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. All right, very good. So it says that uh, here, in the middle of verse 3, I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. And so David is building his cabinet probably by this time, meaning he's becoming either, he's probably not king yet, but he's, he's, he has these 600 men that are going around with him. And he's building his inner circle. And if someone is around the, the, you know, him that is slandering people, gossiping, these are not the kind of people you want to build your life on or around. The one who has a haughty, heart, haughty look and a proud heart. Him I will not endure. Billy Graham said, he who touches the glory, God's glory, they, they are most like Satan. Because that's what Satan did. That's why Jesus said, I was there when Satan, Satan fell like lightning from heaven. Why? Because he tried to touch God's glory. He had a proud heart. Verse 6, my eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way he shall serve me so in other words the people he want around him in his cabinet he's building up this you could call it a cabinet this government uh, there in israel that's who he wanted to serve him these are good lessons for any of you getting into business you have to be very careful who you become yoked to in the business world Verse 7, he who works deceit shall not dwell within my house he who tells lies shall not continue in my presence Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. So he has enormous just respect for the people of God and a great desire for a holy nation to be raised up. A holy nation to be raised up. Psalm 102, hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. So this psalm, much like Psalm 22, many people think this is, uh, this is a prophetic song and this is essentially Jesus speaking here uh, when he's on the cross. Remember that wonderful psalm, Psalm t- uh, 22, which is quoted repeatedly in the New Testament My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's in Psalm 22, also uttered by Jesus uh, on the cross. And uh, a number of of the verses right out of that psalm are are really, they're prophetic in nature. It's what would happen to, uh, to Jesus. And so many, many feel like this is a prophetic psalm. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me. And this is what happened on the cross. The Father hid his face from the Son. Why? Because Jesus was receiving the judgment that was due to us. Verse 3, for my days are consumed like smoke. My bones are burned like a hearth. My heart is stricken and withered like grass. Remember, 
I've described before in different messages about uh, the medical doctor's uh, account or their best account of what would have happened to Jesus on the cross, and what, heart, uh, rather on the cross. And one of the big things is his heart would have become surrounded by water and blood. It would have, there just would have been all kinds of issues going on with his physical heart as the result of really asphyxiation happening and the inability to breathe because, you know, your whole body is hanging down um, on, uh, on, while you're on the cross. And, and so it says in verse 5, because of the sound of my groaning, my uh, bones cling to my skin. I'm like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. I lie awake and am like a sparrow alone on the housetop. My enemies reproach me all day long. Those who deride me swear an oath against me, for I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping because of your indignation and your wrath. For you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a shadow that lengthens and I wither away like the grass. So what Jesus went through for us on the cross we will never fully understand, but this is indeed here a taste of what he went through. But, you know, this is also needs to, you know, many of, uh, of you, I know I have prayed prayers just like this. It's one of the wonderful things about the psalm. You can just go in and discover uh, really the cry of your own heart. Where, like it says in, in verse 6, you just, you know, I'm like a pelican of the wilderness, an owl in the desert. I lie awake and I'm a sparrow alone on the housetop. You know, it's when, when we're in a season um, of, you know, we're talking before about holiness. And when we pursue holiness, often it is a very solitary place. You feel like an owl in the desert. Sometimes you feel like that even in the body of Christ, even in the church. You're wanting to live a holy life. You're looking around at brothers and sisters of Christ and, and they you know, don't appear to have any interest in, in walking like you or with you. And you know, every brother and sister, who, any man or woman who really wants to follow the Lord, the Lord will bring him to that place just as he did Abraham. Where Abraham was called out. He was just alone. Moses alone for 40 years. Paul alone in Arabia. Where God, where God would let him to a place which was a solitary place, a place where the Lord really wanted to do business with them. And he'll do that with you too. He'll do that with you too. Verse 12, there's a, a great sort of change now uh, here in the psalm. It says, but you, O Lord, shall endure forever in the remembrance of, uh, of your name to all nations. You will rise and have mercy on Zion for the time to favor her. Yet, yet, yes, the set time has come. Notice that word, set time. God has times and seasons. He doesn't let sort of time just run rampant and wondering what's going to happen in a particular epoch of history or time or whatever. Sometimes I wonder, Lord, why is it that we live in a, a time where just evil is so much in our face today? Or why can't I have lived a hundred years ago where things where sin was so much more uh, under control in the nation? Uh, you know, not that it's like Sodom. It, we haven't reached that point yet. But 
and, and, and you know, you look at different times of history, some people are appointed to be a part of great revivals. Other people are appointed like Jeremiah just to be a lonely voice in the wilderness. God has a set time. I'm hoping this time he has set for us is revival. And that's why, um, that's why I came back and returned to, to Boston because I really feel like that, that's what the Lord wants for uh, New England. But really, ultimately, it's the Lord sets the time, not me. So he speaks of a set time here. Verse 14, for your servant takes pleasure in her stones. Talking of Jerusalem, lots of stones uh, in uh, Jerusalem. Verse uh, 15, so the nation shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord shall build up Zion. Now remember, for 2,000 years, speaking of Israel here, that the Lord shall build up uh, Zion, Israel, for 2,000 years. Uh, it was a forsaken land. It was a swamp land. Uh, it was filled with malaria after 70 AD when Jerusalem was uh, destroyed. Jews dispersed over all the world. Uh, the Hebrew language was dead, completely dead at the beginning of the year 1900, beginning of the 20th century. Dead uh, language uh, it was. And... It was all brought back to life. 1948, Israel brought back. Israel coming from all over the world. Now, uh, Israel is amongst the most productive nations in the world. The swamplands, the barren mountains have been turned into to these incredibly productive fruit fields. It's like the third or fourth largest fruit producer in the world. And what is it, the size of Maryland or something like that? Uh, Israel and the Jordan Valley has produces more f- uh, fruit and vegetables uh, per square yard than any other area in the world. I'm told just enormous prophetic utterance here that came true. It says that he verse 16 he shall build up Zion. And verse 18, he, this will be written for the generation to come that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. For he looked down from the height of the sanctuary, from the Lord viewed the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner, release those appointed to death to declare the name of, uh, of Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. When the peoples are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. He weakened my strength in the way. So now we have, it reverts back to uh, the last five verses to very similar to how the psalm began. He weakened my strength in the way. So it's interesting here that just like uh, God wrestled Jacob and he had to, uh, to basically what break Jacob's hip, he had to weaken him. God will do that if he hasn't already done that in your life. He'll do it to break you and humble you so that he can use you in a mighty way. Here it says, he weakened my strength in the way, he shortened my days. And I said, oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. So, you know, when when we are walking in the pride of life, the Lord in his mercy will weaken our strength in the way to bring us uh, back down uh, to a place where we're usable again. It says in verse 25, Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, 
and the heavens are the work of your hands. And you know, I don't have a whole lot of time to, to go here, but you have all these crazy theories today, Stephen Hawking and these other guys, the, the Big Bang, that everything that we see today, not only in the earth, the mountains, uh, the, the seas, everything, not only the earth, but all the other planets, the stars, everything was once the size of a little golf ball. And it was just compacted and it had such density that it exploded and everything is expanding now. And at one time, it's going to stop expanding and it's going to revert and it's going to start collapsing. It'll go right back into a golf ball. And, you know, you can either believe that kind of madness, and that is indeed what it is, madness, or you can just believe the Word of God, which says quite simply, verse 25, of old you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. It takes a lot more f faith to believe we came from a golf ball than to believe this. But hey, Stephen Hawking has the gift of faith, I guess. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed, but you are the same. Anyone recognize this? I'll be very impressed if someone does. Anyone recognize this verse? Where? Hebrews. That's right. We read this at the beginning of Hebrews. I think it's chapter 1 or 2. This is all quoted there. They will, verse 26, you will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will ch uh, change them, and they will be changed. By the way, if you happen to run into a Jehovah's Witness that doesn't believe Jesus is God, what is this, these verses talking about here? Who is this, these verses describing? Who does it say? Verse 24. Who is it describing? God. In Hebrews chapter 2, who is it describing? Jesus. <laughs> exact same verses here, which clearly it says here in verse 24, I said, oh my God, goes on to describe God. Yes, they will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will ch uh, uh, they will change and, and they will be changed, but you are the same. Quoted in Hebrews, but it's describing Jesus there. Jesus is God. And your years will have no end. Verse 28, the children of your servants will continue and their descendants will be established before you. And I'll, I will close uh, there.